You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. If you want to get way more streaming shows and save money while you're at it, go to expressvpn.com slash missionlog. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash missionlog. expressvpn.com slash missionlog to learn more. This episode is also sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 492, Unity. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week we pull together our collective minds to see if we can share some thoughts on an episode of Star Trek and avoid awakening a sleeping enemy in the process. This week, Unity. The one where we meet some Borg, but you know, the good kind. The ones who are into, you know, organic farming and being good neighbors. Yeah, let's hang out with them for a while, share some recipes, share some neural energy. What could possibly go wrong? We'll have trivia in a moment, but first a word on how to reach us and then a word of thanks to the people in our Patreon community. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, Leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. We'd like to take a moment here at the top of the show to thank everybody who has joined us at Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. You know, we mention very often how uh, Patreon and Discord really reflects the community aspect of mission log. That has been one of the great things about sending people over there to our Discord to maintain and engage in a conversation after we're done with the show. And one of the amazing things that we find is that, well, it continually evolves. Part of what we started out with at Patreon was swag and early access to shows. Then it grew into Discord, where that conversation just keeps going 24-7. But there's even more stuff that we've been adding beyond that. Uh, Like what, Norm? So one of the things that has come up in the course of uh, recording Mission Log, John and I do extensive notes. And we have extensive discussion. And sometimes our discussion goes a little off track. (laughs) And when we do bring it on track, we have run out of time, but we continue some of that conversation and those discussion points exclusively on our uncut version for our Patreon subscribers only. So we call that our VAM, our value added material. And if you're fans of that kind of content, then that's what you can find that we're adding more to in our discussions in our uncut video on Patreon. Excellent. And thank you to everybody who is new to our Patreon. Just in the last week, Gammon, Elizabeth, Michael, Jason, Alexander, so glad to have you with us. And we look forward to chatting with you in our Discord. Remember, you can join at patreon.com slash mission log. We will see you there. 
And now here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, let's talk about Unity. We have an episode written by Kenneth Biller, and we know that Ken has been with Voyager since season one, and his first writing credit was in that season's episode, Faces. Interesting thing here is that Ken described himself as being the least familiar with Star Trek's long history than the other writers, which maybe makes it fitting that he got assigned to write a Borg story that he had to kind of think outside the box or, well, uh, outside the cube with his approach. I know you see what I did there. That's right. (laughs) right. Now, there was at least some discussion among writers, producers about being done completely with the Borg with first contact. But then the production knew that they would be dropping this episode of Voyager three months after Star Trek first contact came out in cinemas. And this would come out during sweeps month. And that whole idea of abandoning the Borg forever was dropped. Coming back for a second time in the director's chair is Robert Duncan McNeil. His first episode, you may remember, was Sacred Ground. And for this one, he was glad to direct something that had a little more action, though he lobbied to have even more classic Borg presence in this episode. Let's talk a little bit about special effects. We have some stock footage being used in the montage sequence, but there is some brand new Borg Cube footage. Now, what makes this important is that it's the first time that Star Trek has used a CG-rendered Borg cube. We know Voyager has made a lot of strides in the use of CG from Voyager itself to aliens like the reptile in uh, Basics 1 and 2, and, of course, that macro virus we met very recently. And here they wanted to push their use of CG ahead again, see if they could pull it off and use it again in the future. Oh, and uh, as for set pieces, kind of funny to note that while Voyager inherited assets from the production of Star Trek First Contact, they actually had very little of the Borg cube interior. So Robbie and his team had to be very creative about obscuring those set pieces and shooting from different angles to make it look far more vast than it really was. Uh, And uh, another bit of reuse On the planet's surface, the habitat that the ex-Borg have is partly made up of interior set pieces of the Akraterian prison ship, actually. And let's meet our guest stars. A new Voyager crew person to join us, Ensign Kaplan. Credited here as Susan Patterson, she also goes by Susan Dalian, and she has a background in theater, including the San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, Making her way to L.A., she picked up commercial gigs and then TV soon after with this episode of Voyager coming early in her on-camera career. She has been a voice in a number of the Naruto anime, and you may have caught her recently in the ABC show Not Dead Yet. This is her only Star Trek appearance. Orem, a Romulan ex-Borg, is played by Ivan Brauger. He's from Minnesota. And you may have seen him very recently in the popular streaming series Dahmer as the judge. Likewise, he played a judge in the 2014 movie adaptation of Jersey Boys. He's got a number of credits, including recurring roles on soaps like The Bold and the Beautiful and General Hospital and too many TV guest roles to mention. We will see him one more time on Voyager in a different role. 
Finally, Riley is played by Laurie Hellier. And if you're an aficionado of 1980s horror, Laurie was the star of 1981's My Bloody Valentine. That was one of her first big roles, and it led to a career of constant work in front of the camera on TV in the 80s, 90s, and beyond. She had recurring roles on the soaps Days of Our Lives and Santa Barbara. She dabbled more in genre TV with Robocop, uh, the reboot of The Twilight Zone, War of the Worlds, and appeared in the Richard Dreyfuss film Astronaut, and recently as former First Lady Betty Ford in Mrs. America. This is Lori's only Trek credit so far. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. You know maybe this isn't a good place to let a shuttle get out of radio range, or out of visual contact, or out of the shuttle bay. Prologue. Chakotay and Ensign Kaplan are shuttling around lost. The net grid expanse is proving its vastness, and our two wayward crew members can't seem to locate Voyager amidst going around and around in circles. Hey kids, look! The same asteroid field! Big Ben! Parliament. Suddenly, they pick up an emergency transmission broadcasting from a nearby planet, and strangely enough, it's a Federation communication signature. After launching a message buoy in hopes that Voyager will find them sometime later, Chakotay and Kaplan take the shuttle down to the planet where they discover a makeshift industrial camp, complete with its own welcoming party, robed in cloaks, and armed with very large rifles. Act 1. Chakotay, as he is always wont to do, explains that he is responding to a distress call, but his words fall on deaf ears as the assailants open fire. Kaplan shoves Chakotay out of the way but is cut down by a well-placed shot. Chakotay tries to retaliate but is severely wounded in an exchange of weapons fire, and before the attackers can finish the job, another faction drives them off and drags an unconscious Chakotay to safety. Sometime later, after regaining consciousness, Chakotay is met by a human woman, Riley Frazier, who tells him that Kaplan was killed and his shuttle has been cannibalized. Riley apologizes that her deception, that is the beacon that she used to call for help, is what Chakotay was looking for. She also explains that she and several others don't remember how they were deposited on this planet and that there are two factions made up of mixed alien races, some Klingons, Romulans, Cardassians, humans, and others. She describes her faction as a cooperative that works for the benefit of all and try their best to defend themselves against a more violent and aggressive faction of raiders. Meanwhile, Tom Paris laments his boredom while piloting Voyager through the Necrit Expanse, or as he calls it, the Negative Expanse, as if there's nothing exciting about it. Well, Tom's need for excitement is about to change as Tuvok's sensors have located something in their flight path. It's big. It's cube-shaped. And it's the Borg. Act 2. As the Borg cube looms largely on Voyager's viewing screen, Janeway orders all stations to prepare for any engagement. However, Tuvok and Harry both confirm from their respective scans that the Borg cube is inactive and with no detectable life signs aboard. Janeway believes that this is a rare opportunity and orders for an away team to board the cube, recon as much information as possible that would benefit Voyager if or when they encounter a fully operational cube. On the planet, Chakotay is still suffering from the lingering effects of being shot, while Riley explains how our cooperative has learned to come together as a community and become self-sufficient. 
Chakotay believes Voyager is her best chance to reconnect with her family, but Riley can't fathom leaving such a close-knit community, something that she can't quite explain. However, she does admit that the Raiders are a concern and asks Chakotay for help, you know, like security upgrades and weapons and supplies, to defend against and withstand future attacks. Later in Voyager's briefing room, and after an earlier investigation of the Borg Cube, which resulted in discovering what appeared to be a dead Borg drone, both Tuvok and Bolana report to Janeway that this Borg Cube has been adrift for five years, either due to some kind of freak accident, or worse, after being attacked by a species even more powerful than the Borg. And Janeway is concerned that the Borg has left behind so much of their technology adrift in space for so long. It's time to collect Chakotay, who is still suffering from the lingering effects from being shot. However, even in his weakened state, he manages to escape his confines and stumbles into the larger encampment area, only to be shocked to see Riley off in the distance, surrounded by other refugees, only without her long blonde hair, which was hiding a scalp covered with Borg-like implants. Act 3. Chakotay is stunned by his discovery and immediately demands answers. Riley tells him that she and her fellow cooperatives were once Borg, some of whom, like herself, were assimilated during the Battle of Wolf 359. She continues that five years ago, their ship was damaged by an electrical storm, and their link to the Collective was severed. After regaining their independence, many of them were transported to this planet to start their own colony, free from the Borg Collective. But when the euphoria of independence wore off, many of these different races fell into their natural hatreds towards each other and began fighting. The cooperative was created to save them from chaos, and it has for the most part, aside from the raiders who haven't been able to be turned. Overwhelmed by it all, Chakotay is overcome by his ever-worsening condition. Back on Voyager, the doctor is reveling in his autopsy of the incredibly well-preserved Borg drone. However, in his investigation, he accidentally activates a backup power cell using a cortical probe. The drone abruptly comes to life, terrifying Balana, Kess, and the doctor for a moment. But they all soon realize that the drones on the cube are still potentially operational if their backup systems are ever triggered, just as the doctor did to the drone. In his quarters, Chakotay is barely holding on as his condition is worsening by the minute. Riley believes the only way to save him is to use a Borg technique which harnesses the power of the Collective as healing energy. At first, Chakotay refuses to link with the Collective even for his own survival, but when the time was upon him, he relented as Riley, Orem, and a select few in the Cooperative joined their minds to Chakotay's and saved him. Shortly after, he and Riley shared a tender moment as his connection to her memories and her feelings for him were shared during the cooperative's healing process. Act 4. A reinvigorated Chakotay is up on his feet and making himself useful to the cooperative as Voyager arrives and makes contact. Chakotay persuades Riley to present her case to Captain Janeway. In the briefing room, Riley meets with the captain and Chakotay and outlines her plan to consolidate everyone on the planet to work for the benefit of the cooperative and the society they are trying to build for the greater good. All Riley needs is for Janeway to give her access to certain systems on the Borg Cube so she can reestablish a connection with the violent factions who the cooperative haven't been able to assimilate. Janeway understands what Riley is asking, even for what Chakotay is advocating, but Janeway makes it clear that there are still Borg on that cube, perhaps not at their optimal strength, but the Borg nevertheless. Janeway is willing to provide the basics needed for the Collective to survive, but giving Riley the power to access the Borg cube 
That is a concession Janeway is unwilling to make. After Riley takes her leave, Janeway confronts Chakotay, who she feels is somehow more deeply connected to this cooperative than even he may realize. He does admit that he has an affinity towards the colony and that Riley's request is sincere and without deception. However, the fate of thousands of lives are in the balance, which makes Janeway's decision to not support Riley's plan all the easier to make. Back on the planet, after informing Riley of Janeway's decision and after sharing a brief but tender farewell, Chakotay and Bellana are on their shuttle back to Voyager. Suddenly, Chakotay is contacted by the cooperative via telepathic link. He turns his phaser on Bellana, stuns her, and flies the shuttle directly towards the Borg cube. Act 5. Watching Chakotay's shuttle veer off towards the cube, Janeway orders Voyager to pursue. Meanwhile, the cooperative continues to chant to Chakotay that they are under attack and that he needs to board the cube at Module 47 Omega to activate the neuroelectric generator. This is exactly what Riley presented to Janeway as the means to activate the link, which would also allow the cooperative to possibly reestablish telepathic link to all the drones. Chakotay is intercepted by a Tuvok security detail and exchanges phaser fire with Harry while trying to activate the generator. Chakotay manages to stun Tuvok, but Harry returns fire and hits Chakotay, but not before he is able to complete his task. Before he succumbs to being stunned, Chakotay activates the generator. Just as Janeway feared, the presumed dead drones on the cube reactivated as well, forcing Harry and Tuvok, with an unconscious Chakotay now in custody, to retreat and order an emergency beam out. Meanwhile on the planet, Riley's plan worked. Thanks to Chakotay, she was able to reestablish connection with the rebel faction and order them to stop attacking the cooperative's compound. But what came next was a surprise to even Janeway. The board cube began to overload, and just as Janeway ordered Voyager to retreat to a safe distance, the cube exploded, taking all of its technology and remaining drones into oblivion in the process. As a parting of ways, the cooperative explained who and what they are now and apologized for forcing Chakotay to act on their behalf and under their influence. After being thoroughly checked by the doctor, Chakotay shows no signs of any link to the cooperative. He regrets his actions and believes Riley betrayed him, but Janeway does point out that the cooperative didn't turn on them when they had control of the cube. So there's that. Chakotay laments what will happen now and if the cooperative's ideals can survive in the face of their independence and newfound power. The end. Oh man, I'm so glad that with a new episode, we got a new crew member on Voyager. Ensign Kaplan cannot wait to get to know her and really flesh out Voyager's crew. Um, Too soon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, too soon. That, okay. that was too that soon. was unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, come on, she had a name and everything, but <laughs> and a rapport. I yeah, you know, with Chicote, too bad. Saved his life, actually. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, I do have a question though. If they passed the same asteroid field twice, like I, I've been lost before in a car, and purely on me, because the car, at least at the time, didn't have like sat nav stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. In a shuttle. I'm going to say that their navigational computer needs an update because shouldn't it get that first? Shouldn't it just always know like, (laughs) hey, that asteroid field is over here. We're going to not go by that again. And if you try going that way, I'm going to tell you that you're just going in circles. That, That needs a software update. 
I guess it depends on how much of that panel you're actually using. Because I was looking at mm-hmm. where Chakotay's sitting, where Kaplan's sitting. Yeah. His navigational stuff or his controls don't go all the way behind his chair. Hers, like, go on for miles like, right. behind her chair. That's why she right? didn't know. That, that's why it, until they got there, because the, the asteroid field warning, the you're going in oh. circles warning, is, like, way, way, way on the other side. It's, it's easy to miss. That must be yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, I'm j- just proposing this. I hope that they'll hear me in 1997. I hope that they'll hear me when I say, look, don't let the shuttles fly so far away from Voyager that you're always out of comms range. What, what are yeah. you thinking? Don't do that. Don't do that. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in space, no one can hear you uh, scream or anything when you're out of comms range. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of like post-apocalyptic design and like mm. the industrial braziers that were on the planet's surface. It just it's great shorthand for industrial camp might be dangerous. Yes. Yep. Totally. Yeah, you you mm-hmm. get that from the first minute. The other thing that you get is the uh, double-barreled phaser rifle flamethrower. What the hell was that? That was pretty amazing. Uh, so some new weaponry down there. So sometimes I like shake my head when you're surrounded by people that are clearly um, dangerous Mm -hmm. because look at the size of this giant rifle I'm pointing at you. And then Chakotay is there like, "Uh, hey, guys, we're in peace. You know, we come in peace. You can lower your weapons. And then they don't lower their weapons. And you're like, this might be dangerous. But I just want to still explain why we're here. I know, right? right. Like, no, just just get out. Just go get back in the yeah. shuttle. Go away. Yeah, run. Yeah, run, run. And right. and speaking yeah. of shuttles, another shuttle gone. That this again. This is why you don't just send them out all the time. Okay, just stop doing that. Or if you do, put it on a leash. Okay. This one didn't even get a name. The last shuttle that we got was like the Sacagawea. This, this got no name. No name. No name. Don't even yeah. care. Yeah. I, I really like, and we. I'm sure that we'll talk more about Robbie's direction style and the creative choices that were made. And, of course, I'm always a fan of Marvin Rush. Um, but I love how so many of these scenes in Act 1 are shot in so much darkness. I also like how there's that bit of obfuscation with the story that Riley is telling in a way that makes then playback of the episode a bit more satisfying too. She's accurate, but she's very incomplete. <laughs> and you know, like the idea that there are a lot of people there brought against their will. We're just not necessarily revealing how that happened. I thought there were great great choices made along the way with that. There's a certain layer of truth, but it also, I think it added to kind of like the flirtation between mm-hmm. Riley and Chakotay from the start. And I really do think that their chemistry, like Robert's, Lori. Lori's, uh, yeah, her, yeah. her, their chemistry from the beginning yeah. was believable. Totally. And that's very rare. Yeah. Uh, sizzling, if I, if mm-hmm. I may add. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it, so. it, it sizzles yeah. throughout. Yeah. By the way, I, I, I hate to keep harping on this with the uh, the whole thing about the shuttle and getting lost and all that. Didn't we get a map of the Necrot Expanse? Somewhere, mm. like, like it, didn't that didn't that get resolved? And by the way, they keep talking about how they're in it. They can't cut through it. Why are all the shots of our ships just on the edge? Like, they, <laughs> like they're not actually in it. And by that time, just hanging on the edge, they could have gone around. I, I'm just just saying they 
could have, you know. Maybe Neelix dropped his map when he was cleaning out the plasma manifolds. I mean, wasn't they, that his punishment? It was. It was. And speaking of, that's another thing that uh, Janeway just throws in Tom Paris's face. She's like, well, the warp plasma filters are due for a thorough cleaning. I thought Neelix, like, just make that part of his continued punishment. You just keep doing that. Don't don't threaten Tom like that. I guess if you're not doing, say, I don't know, like rock climbing to your doom, you know, or fending off the the, uh, the predatory advances of your coworker, you're just bored. After <laughs> right. that, you're just bored. It's just right? nothing to do. Yeah. Look at all this space, and it's yeah. just space. It's the nothing expanse. I'm so bored. Uh, then you know, go um, go hang out in the holodeck. Okay. Do we that. haven't forgotten ex post facto. N- neither oh. should you. Yeah. So. No. <laughs> no. 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 That's. That's bad news when Tom Paris is bored. Um, interesting. Chakotay's vegetarian. Kind of not surprised there. A lot of vegetarians in Starfleet, the further we, we mm. go forward in the timeline there. And Riley's dreams about barbecue, 100% I can relate to her. I get you, Riley, in that way. Not just barbecue, Texas barbecue. Te- yeah. yeah. Well, very so distinct. Delineating barbecue. Very yeah. distinct. Its own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that Chicoche brings up in his explanation of Voyager's journey that it's now 67 years in order to get home as opposed to 70 years mm-hmm. because it's now in real time saying we have been out here and in season for three years. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, I, I like that too. It would take even less if they stopped taking these little side journeys, <laughs> you know. I didn't want to say it. Yeah, yeah. he'll whittle <laughs> that down to 65, baby. I don't know. At least. Yeah, yeah. Riley has this interesting point of view that she's trying to share with Chakotay. The high hopes for this mutually respectful, tolerant, cooperative, and that's why they need enhanced security and weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like we knew that was coming, but all right. I like how the cooperative, though, and much to your point, it's kind of like redefining the Federation on this planet, hmm. but mm-hmm. the Federation also uses kind of like uh, the... The excuse of we only have weapons to defend ourselves. Yeah, right. Yeah, very true. If necessary. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and they are in a position to defending themselves, but then you have to ask, well, wait, are they really the good guys? Is, is there something else they could have worked out if they talked about it? Well, we'll, we'll get into that later. John, on. whose private little war are we describing Ooh, here? nice. Nice right. little callback there. Mm-hmm. Once we get into the Borg cube, vis-a-vis the Borg tubes, because the Borg love tubes, they are everywhere that's part of the design scheme if you're borg tubes everywhere and i do love uh tuvok's little dig at balana about being apprehensive right before he gets freaked out (laughs) that was a nice (laughs) nice little bit with him i don't know who trains like the actors to have like tactical agency over like their position and their body Mm -hmm. because the entire time that tuvok was giving her a hard time about you know don't be so apprehensive Mm -hmm. Alana had her hand hovering over her phaser, ready to draw. Oh, yeah. When Tuvok gets scared by the board drone, he, like, literally almost fumbles his phaser out of his hand. He's like, whoa, whoa, yep. whoa. Yep. Right? He I'm sure like, does. You're- Yep. Plus one for Bellana, minus one points for Tuvok. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, I love this whole idea even just about doing recon aboard a dead Borg ship. Like, that, that is absolutely what they should do. They should be taking as much tech as possible. Maybe take some weapons. Maybe take some communications tech so you know what to do if you encounter them. Just, All right. you know, hopefully that maybe plays out. 
know. You just gave us our album cover for today. It's Dead Borg Recon. Dead Borg Recon. That said, hey, Warp 11, you can have that title yep. that's on yep. us. And I do like that call out. Maybe the Borg were defeated by an enemy even more powerful. Yeah, mm. that would be a scary thing. And does it become like an enemy of my enemy is my friend situation? I do like the kind of like the the not the golden rule because there's the golden rule but this is kind of like the other golden rule there's always a bigger fish mm. in the universe yeah always a bigger fish yeah true if you press off enough buttons or like turn enough tumblers on a lock mm. eventually you'll be able to open a door that's what i've learned <laughs> yes from this episode yes okay. yeah that, that has learned uh, at least in this episode gotta say shout out to all the great makeup on the x borg i i think 99% of it is awesome, amazing looking. They are distinct, but Borg enough. I think the only weak link in that, I just, I didn't love Orem's look as um, an ex Romulan with some Borg tech. Not to take away from the actor at all, who I think is fabulous, but that just seemed to be the least successful of the uh, Borg makeup. Was it because he had just a giant implant covering half his face? It was a giant implant, and then also the seam around where that appliance came down, kind of over the bridge of his nose, and then around uh-huh. uh, the upper part of his cheek. I just mm-hmm. thought it, it didn't look right. Like I wanted him to be more distinctly Romulan, and then maybe that Borg tech not be so prominent. Wolf 359. Yeah. When Star Trek fans hear that, or Star Trek fans that have seen The Next Generation have seen that episode, you know, Battle of uh, Best Mm -hmm. of Both Worlds, is that just shorthand for, all right, we don't have to actually use any kind of footage from that episode for flashback anymore? Mm. Because as soon as you hear that, I think fans of a certain generation or, you know, a certain immersion in the fandom were like, yeah, I know 359. Yeah. So now you know, kind of like without even saying, where, where Riley was. And what happened? I also like it because even if you don't have that mental picture in your head of what happened there, it is so specific and it hinges on the actor's reaction to it that even if you don't know, you just hear that and you go like, oh, wow, something bad happened at Wolf 359. Like Macho Grande? I'll never be over Macho Grande. Uh, Look, the setup was great. We're in the sick bay on Voyager. As soon as you have an autopsy of a Borg corpse, we absolutely have to have a jump scare with that scene of it rising up off the examination table. That's just the rule. Of course. And they follow the rule perfectly. I love Bellana's like quick turnaround when the doctor is all giddy about like doing the autopsy. And then it cuts right back to Cass and Jennifer Leanne tried so hard, I think, to hide cracking, to hide a break <laughs> that she just kind of has this wry smile the whole time yeah. walking behind the doctor back into the scene. I thought that was funny. Also kind of loved the doctor's cortical probe because it was very sonic screwdriver E to me. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Right. So now I have pictures of Bob Picardo in a long multicolored scarf of quipping course. and yeah, can't get that out of my head now. Oh. And neither can you. You're welcome. Yeah. So. <laughs> exactly. I really like playing the hesitance on Chakotay's part uh, with the the proposal that he be connected with them with that that neural link. I I mean it, it's it plays so true, so real. You know, using the technology of your enemy, the technology that literally defines your enemy. I thought it was such an interesting direction to go there. Again, we'll we'll have much more to say about that, but I thought he played that fear perfectly when that was brought up to him. But then how awesome to flip that and in the very next moment hear those Borg voices talk about healing, help, and safety. Incredible. Yeah, I guess the big question is, 
as Chakotay, I can understand the distrust. Where do you draw the line, you know, with mm-hmm. what you've learned so far, what you believe, and then also I'm dying, yeah. so I need something, you know, I need something to work here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Hive mind healing. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And then, wow, what, what a very intimate scene between Chakotay and Riley as we close out that act. I mean, it, it was sweet. It was genuine. It was just very deep and felt very real. Wow. Uh, kudos to the actors in that scene. Incredible. I think the word you're looking for, John, is sizzling. It was sizzling. That is another great word for it. Not sizzling. Mm-hmm. When Chainway asks Tuva, can you locate the so can you locate the shuttle first? Mm-hmm. Then can you locate the com badges second? <laughs> then can you locate our people third? <laughs> I would have been like, oh, that's that's the order of the day. In order mm-hmm. of importance, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I love Janeway's uh, uh, kind of accusation of Riley as she's presenting this, you know, very flowery way of thinking about the collective. Uh, and she was like, you are one harmonious family bent on the violent assimilation of innocent cultures. Wow. Pretty much laying it all out. I mean, continuing that, that thread, mm-hmm. Janeway tells Chakotay, you got to know them very well. Mm-hmm. The way she said it, that's Starfleet for there's an indictment that's going on mm. between her and Chakotay. Right? Like you, not only did you get to know them well, you got to know someone really, really well. well. Yeah. But look, but I, I like that Janeway gives Chakotay the respect of asking his opinions, even when she's not convinced. And mm-hmm. I like how he in turn respects where Janeway is coming from. Like the, the, there's so much to the subtext. But there is also this working relationship that is working really well. I'd like to know when Jacote and uh, Riley are talking about, you know, they're saying their goodbyes, and then Jacote said something about the long lines of "I can replicate you, Texas barbecue." Mm-hmm. So Lori's smile was, I think, it was real, but there was a little bit more to it from, like, say, an actor's standpoint. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is reflexive? from, say, a director saying, like, I want you to connect with that line, or is it just something that naturally comes from an actor because they know their character so well? Yeah, look, if you've got that kind of emotional recall, then it's genuine. You know, an actor's job is to find the truth in the moment. That is the truth of the moment. It was great. Truth equals sizzling. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can't say that I was surprised that, oh, look, the cooperative's going to use their Borg influence. Hmm to manipulate Chakotay when the time came. Yeah. That's Starfleet 4, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, you have to wonder, though, like, okay, when Balana pulls the phaser on Chakotay, does that affect their working relationship going forward? Like, at any point, does he get to say, like, yeah, yeah, look, I know you don't want to do this thing. I know you're a commander. You shot me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to pull that out at some point. We have our 47 reference at timestamp 39 minutes, 18, section, uh, 18 seconds. Transport to module 47 Omega. Could not be any other Omega. The first 46 Omegas were terrible. Mm-hmm. Go with 47. Yeah. Yep. Uh, by the way, funny thing here, because I always watch the shows at least once with closed captioning. Make sure I don't miss any names or important details. I love that the uh, the other ex-Borg who are invading the uh, the collective there is just in the closed caption, grunting with effort. So I'm glad <laughs> to know that as opposed to like a casual effortless grunting. That's what they were doing. That's the first single on our album for today. You oh, know, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Borg Recon. Yeah, Grunting with Effort. Yeah. Grunting with Effort, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll be honest, I was really kind of tensed up at the end. Uh, 
when I'm like, did they did they manipulate Chakotay to do this, to turn mm-hmm. on the Borg, to get to the Borg, to turn the Borg droids on? Mm-hmm. I loved that. Yeah. I was so invested in it. It's been a long time where... I'll get to that later. Yeah, okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. By the way, as Chakotay is walking around in the Borg cube and he's hearing the voices and, his, and they keep ratcheting up the uh, the urgency of it and they're telling him where to go, what to do, what to turn on. One of the directions he's get, it's like, how do you find the location that is the pathway pi two? Like literally pi, P-I. Mm-hmm. How do you have pathway pi? Like how many places do you have to solve for pi? Because you can just keep going and going and going and going. And why would you label anything like, okay, here, here's circuit one, circuit two, circuit three, circuit pi. <laughs> we just <laughs> throw that. Yeah. So that is a thing that the Borg do to make it very complicated. You know, John, in some diners across the States, resistance to pi is futile. Good point. Very I'm good just point. Yeah. Here's another point. And I think it's good. Your mileage may vary. Is there a difference between beam out and emergency beam out? Isn't the ex- the act of beaming out for a transporter, well, when you actually do have a transporter technician in the transporter room, the same? You slide the sliders to beam somebody out. Is there like a red button, like emergency beam out? Right. Punch that and it's just faster? Right, right. Well, it's sort of like any time that we've pointed out, okay, they're going to do a diagnostic or they're going to do a level two diagnostic or, you know, mm-hmm. or you're scanning but we're going to scan again, but this other level of scan. No, just do that all the time. Just do that one. The, the good one, that's the one you should be doing all the time. At the end, got to say, great effect with the Borg cube blowing up. And great, chilling, interesting moment, creepy moment to get that like going away message from the new cooperative, um, which is just a, a weird euphemism because we know about the Borg collectives as they already are. Uh, honestly, it's scary anyway. And, and to hear that pleasant goodbye, it's like they sound like your worst idea of a homeowner's association. If you're sleeping off the Borg info dump montage involving Wolf 359, does that mean you've had the rest of both worlds? We'll get right back to Unity after a word from this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know what? It's probably always a good time to save a little money where you can. I like to save some money. And uh, I look back at my cable bill and the number of streaming services that I've had in the past, and that can really add up. But there's an aspect to ExpressVPN that can actually save you money. And we've talked about the security features of ExpressVPN, but, but think about ExpressVPN this way. So let's say you have a subscription to a streaming service like Netflix. They actually have thousands more shows and movies than you think. You just don't see them all because those different shows show up depending on the country that you're in. So what you see on Netflix or any other streaming service here is completely different from what someone in Italy or South Korea or somewhere else actually sees. But here is the trick. By using ExpressVPN like we do, well, we can change our online locations. 
ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from. So every time I want to look and search for something new to watch, it's very easy to just switch to another country and then you unlock all these new shows. So one thing that I've been doing, I watch a lot of English programming through the UK ExpressVPN channel, tap in over to Netflix or BBC iPlayer or any other places that I might want to look, tap that one button to change the country, refresh it, and boom, all that new content shows up. Don't need to pay for a bunch of extra streaming services that I'm not watching because I can just unlock all of those places in the service that I have now. And on top of all of that, I can even use ExpressVPN to get discounts. Now, some services cost less in other countries. Like, for example, if you buy Netflix from, say, Argentina, it costs a fraction of the price. And at less than $7 a month, ExpressVPN pays for itself with all of those discounts so you can get so much more. It's a no-brainer. So if you want to get way more shows and save money while you're at it, go to expressvpn.com slash mission log. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. Norman, this episode has so many layers to pick apart. <laughs> so many ways to peel this onion and explore the Borg relationship, the ex-Borg relationship with each other and with the Voyager crew. I want to ask something, though, right off the top, because mm -hmm. I think... Janeway and Chakotay, that whole scene on Voyager, they did a good job of discussing the pros and the cons of what these people want, what these individuals say they want. And they also understand the danger involved. But ultimately, Janeway says she can't help in good conscience. She can't help them do what she wants to do. She has every right to do that, to just walk away. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, we are also involved in what they're doing. And, you know, like Riley's from Texas. She's a human who was taken away by these Borg and has now expressed over and over this is where she wants to be and this is what she wants to do. Do you think there's anything more to make about the autonomy of those ex-Borg deciding not to be autonomous? Like, do we respect their right and their desire to go back into a collective? Or is it just, well, we've had bad experience with the Borg before, so we can't allow you to do that. Can we, and by, by we, I mean the crew of Voyager, Janeway, the senior staff, really make a judgment that they are or they aren't thinking clearly about the situation? Do, do we dare say that they are brainwashed from their experience? I mean, I mean cer certainly they are forever changed by their experience. Well, naturally. And I mm. think that's, I mean, that, that's fair to say. And I think that it's great that they were able to reflect on that at the end of the episode. Because I had, I had similar thoughts on that. And I guess my big mm. question to answer your question is, was Chakotay wrong about the cooperative in the end? Mm. So to answer your question with a quote okay. from the final scene. So Chakotay says, but they didn't hesitate to impose their collective will on me when it served their interests, did they? And Janeway said, no, they didn't. So Chakotay said, I wonder how long their ideals will last in the face of that kind of power. So mm. in, in the cooperative's goodbye, it seems to me that at least at that point, the cooperative was operating 
on the good faith that they weren't returning to a Borg-like state. Yes. Yeah. And, and I have to wonder, yeah. okay, how long will that last? I mean, that, that really is the ambiguity that we end this episode on. We don't know how long that'll last. And mm-hmm. I, I also feel like it, there's this other element here that's played so well in the episode that we, knowing the Borg history and the Federation's history with the Borg, we can't help but be terrified by the techno hell that is existence as a Borg or part of that collective. But but at the same time, look how well they play sympathy for these people. They have a lot of depth. They have character. They have individuality. And we want what's best for them. But what they think is best for them is anathema to how we feel about ourselves. And, and again, we we meaning us, but also the crew of Voyager, who will obviously try to run or fight from Borg whenever they find them, because they know about Wolf 359, they know what happened. And you're just going on this sort of good faith assertion that, yeah, we were part of that, but we're better now, and we can handle it now. And I, I almost had this question in my mind, like, is that is that expressing affinity for one's captor or abuser? You know, are they in a situation where it's that bad, where they, they can't see beyond that? I mean, Riley turned down twice the opportunity to go home, just come join Voyager and just get out of there. But no, no, didn't want to do it. it, it is that change so profound that they can't possibly escape the idea of going back to the collective. Or going back to society, because society might cast the same aspersion on them as, say, Janu was doing at the same time. So maybe oh, they're... I didn't f- think about that. Yeah, good You point. know, maybe she, speaking for the collective or Orem, because they seemed like they were the two kind of figureheads for this new government and this this kind of new faction of a society or, or um, a civilization that they're trying to create. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've come to the consensus of, since they are of a hive mind, that no matter where we go, we're going to be branded as Borg, ex-Borg or not, clean or not, you know, Mm. with the right intents and purposes or not, we still served under the collective. Therefore, we are going to be branded as dangerous. So the only way to stay away from that kind of, again, that kind of prejudice or that kind of bigotry is to create a colony of their own. And that begs Ah. the question, and it goes all the way back to what Chakotay said, how long were their ideals last in the face of this kind of power and this kind of autonomy for themselves? And I have to ask the question, how is that different from any government? How is that different (laughs) from the Federation who are in control of those who are just supposed to follow orders based on the government that they have voted for that have also created the power that these people are supposedly protected under? Yeah. So, well, but I I guess the big, you're right. Philosophically, you are 100% right. I I guess the only factor here that's different is the introduction of the technology that would allow the Borg, other Borg collective, to just Mm -hmm. drop in, see that signal, grab it for their own. Like there, there is no resistance at all to that. The best you can hope for is okay, this new cooperative is strong enough that they could resist that, but I don't think they can. I really don't. Um, and, and you can, yes, feel like what you're saying, I, I think has a lot of merit because you can say, all right, as we choose to participate in a particular structure, a particular um, uh, kind of social hierarchy, government hierarchy, we are then allowing that larger institution, that government to jack into what we're doing to then mm-hmm. exercise some control. 
This is instantaneous. If they hadn't destroyed that one Borg cube, uh, okay, how many seconds would it take for that one to just drop by that planet, beam them up, and guess what? Now you're just back to where you were. You're part of a Borg cube again. I mean, I guess that somewhere along the line, and I, I'm not a big advocate, or I don't like defending the position of you should, there, there's something outside of the canon of the episode that can be understood or has been referenced because it's yeah. very well possible that they know once they destroyed the Borg cube that the connection to the collective in general is gone. Okay. Because, you know, yeah. because after five years, the Borg never came to reclaim that technology that was cut off. So essentially, unless blind luck would have brought another Borg cube or some type of like, you know, search party just stumbled upon that cube like hanging over this planet, then no. Yeah, you know, it's, right. it's they just left it adrift. And for Borg, it's either you're useful or you're not. Yeah. So, you know, when you're just a piece of junk, like, you know, floating around in space with no value, no one's going to come looking for you. And I think that's what they were banking on. But right, they needed right. to make sure that one of two things happened, that they were able to stop, like, the rebel faction who weren't able to be, quote unquote, assimilated into the cooperative to stop them from doing that because it was defeating their purpose of trying to bring together this entire unity of these ex-Borgs. But the only way to do that is to light up a flare, i.e. the beacon, <laughs> and, and, and uh, hopefully no one would be able to pick that up. And they, that was a gamble. Yeah. All right. That was a yeah. huge gamble. And again, not, you're not seeing forward into the, uh, into future series. I don't know if that's going to like say pay off, say the way that uh, like, you know, uh, what's the invasion episode with the, the bugs didn't pay off in TNG. Oh, sure. Uh, conspiracy. Right? Conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I think from from Riley's and an Orem standpoint, mm. the risk was worth the reward. Yeah. Right. To be able to do that. And that's that, that's kind of part and parcel in fighting for independence. Right. Yeah. You're risking so much knowing that, say, you know, the United States, the 13 colonies, they risked independence you know, from a motherland that had a hundred times the firepower to be able to crush them and right. bring them back into the fold, but they couldn't. Right. So, yeah, but I, there's something unique about the Borg, though. It's like the, by nature of how they work, like you're just inviting, <laughs> you're inviting this other stronger force that has come in and go like, oh, you're already set up for it. We don't have to work hard to assimilate you because you've already got the underlying tech. We're just going to well, pick sure. you right back up and, and stick you into our collective. I, I want to move on to something else that I think is also a, a dark question floating around this episode. Um, it's an interesting group of people, some Federation, some not in there are ex Borg collective, you know, uh, uh, our, our two stars, our two co-star stars, Riley being a human and, uh, Orum being a Romulan sworn enemies who have figured out a way to work together. But for the last five years that they've been on this planet in general, these two factions or maybe more have been at each other's mm -hmm. throats. Are people incapable of finding unity if they're too different? Now, Riley and Orem have figured out a way to work together, but they are so many different species, so many different people, different skills, different resources. They're in this harsh new environment where they have to work together, but they can't. In five years, they, they have only gotten worse from what we're mm -hmm. led to believe here. And they're either so reliant on the Borg technology or so desperate or both, whatever the case may be, that they endanger themselves 
to get back to that point of unity. They can't see another better way out. And I, I so I, I just wonder if like that is a, have they given up a certain grasp of just those ideals to say, okay, well, we don't need Borg technology. Borg are the enemy. We were that enemy. We were assimilated by that. And we can't find another way out to live in this place and make friends out of those enemies to share resources and actually be productive here, that they're willing to go back because that's better. But I think I think what they're trying to highlight here is take away like what the Borg have done by forceful assimilation. Working together as a hive mind and pouring all of your resources and literal energy into the right, into the same, uh, in the same purpose is not necessarily a bad idea. You know, what the Borg do is they do it by force mm-hmm. using technology. Mm-hmm. But if you actually could get everyone on the same page, working for the same reason, applying their talents towards the same goal, and doing that in a way where it's almost instantaneous, I think that's actually a good thing. It's, it's the independence. It's the lack of individuality that is, I think, in question when it comes to the Borg. But, there are no and, individuals. And think about how much they express they like it. When they can hear each other's thoughts, they like it when they feel that sense of being part of a group. Chakotay says he was only in it for minutes, mm-hmm. and he loved that feeling of not being alone, just being part of that group. And it's funny, you, you said the words because I, I took the, the quote. It's like, you know, the one, can you take the one good thing mm-hmm. about being part of the board? That's how Riley put it, the, the one good thing but you're taking it from something that is so dangerous and so destructive. Can you actually make it work in a benevolent way? Like, can you think, uh, yes, we, I like to think that our best technologies are sort of judgment neutral. You know, we, we have technologies that can be destructive or can be incredibly productive. Uh, we've had an ongoing debate since World War II about nuclear energy. And that is something that I think exists in a judgment-neutral arena. It is just a science. Now, it can be used for the most destructive possible weapon that we can imagine. It could also be used as one of the cleanest, most productive sources of energy that humanity can devise at all. But I wonder, can we trust ourselves? Can these ex-Borg trust themselves to take... It's so just ironic and funny to be the one good thing from this awful place and make it work in a benevolent way. I mean, the concept, you know, like the, the overarching theory behind what we're saying here, and it's a great point that you're making, is do we trust the technology to serve us or do we serve the technology, mm-hmm. right? Because like we're in a very precarious situation here, I think, in real time where those lines are being blurred, where what, does, what services humanity, the mm-hmm. technology or do uh, does technology serve us? Who's the master of what, right? Because again, the Cold War standoff is about who was stockpiling the most amount of destructive force ever. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was you could take all of that technology and all of the uranium harnessed firepower, you know, in nuclear weapons, and you can use it to power cities to the end of time. Mm -hmm. Right. But they don't. Right. Because it's there is the perversion of technology because of certain elements in man, in humankind. And you have to think that. 
that's what Chakotay, I think, is getting at the end. Can we trust their individuality, their thirst for independence? You know, they're striving to reach this common goal and this common good based solely on being able to come together and harnessing the power of a technology that has been proven used in the improper way, used in the most morally bankrupt way to destroy entire civilizations. What good can come of this? Well, it could. <laughs> well, <laughs> here's why I worry right. about them, though, because we've met some of these ex-Borg who are conscientious, who have good goals, who want the best for others. We haven't spent much time with the others who are just trying to attack them. So what happens when you incorporate that element? I, I, I guess what I'm worried is they're in search of a shortcut to something that doesn't necessarily have a shortcut. And we don't know the history of the last five years. We don't know how much they've tried or not tried, been able to break through or not break through to have a conversation and find a way to organize themselves. But here they've got this, they have this piece of tech that, that's just out of reach. It's just over there. Boy, if we could only go back to that and catch that lightning, <laughs> you know, and hopefully not get electrocuted by it, boy, then we can have what we really want back. But it is that, is it too easy and will they get stung by it? Like, what happens if we come back to this colony in 10 years or 100 years? It, mm -hmm. Is it a collective that is just indistinguishable from the Borg that we already know because that is baked into the programming? Or have they managed to live with it in, you know, again, a, a benevolent way? Is it about the people or the tech? Which one wins? And mm -hmm. Star Trek has this very interesting way of looking at, well, how much humanism can we assert over technology to make sure that we aren't getting swallowed up by our technology? The Borg are the ultimate expression of that going entirely in the wrong way. And here are these people playing with the most powerful version of the wrong way. Well, I think that we should be concerned if anyone returns to that planet and there's a red hour and a bunch of guys in robes with weird staves and a computer named Landry. Put up the safety cones around that planet. Do it now. To answer your burning technical questions, a level 1 diagnostic is just a diagnostic. Level 2 means diagnostic harder. Level 3 is diagnostic with a vengeance. I'm not exactly sure at the end of this episode where we discuss, say, does this episode hold up? Does it withstand the test of time? And with the morals and meanings and messages we may have in mind, I'm not sure if you and I, John, are going to be a unity of a collective experience. <laughs> Wait, we might be a cooperative we, in that respect. We never yeah. know. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see where we land with an episode that has provided us with so much incredible discussion and observations. Yeah. And by the way, we rarely do the hard pitch in this situation when we get to this part of the show. But we just had another 20 minutes chat offline <laughs> that's for our Patreon, and there's so much more to dig into in this episode. So if you're listening to us now on the regular drop, there's just so much more. I, I, I have to say that because, drumroll please, wrapping up this episode and assessing whether or not it holds up. I love this episode so very much. Um, I mean, talk about a creative side angle way 
to get into the story and show us so much more depth and nuance of the big bad, the Borg, than literally anything else that we have seen up to this point in Star Trek. It does something really effective, which is to give us an idea of how the Borg could have evolved to the state that they're in in the first place. I mean, think about it. There is an appeal there for all of these people. There's also a really dark side to what they're doing, I think. But even in the attempt to weigh out the pros and the cons, they find themselves in a very understandable position. So think back. I can't remember in canon how many hundreds or thousands of years old the Borg are supposed to be. But you can get it. What if it started like this? What if it started with the experimentation of a technology that said, wow, we can get so much more done if we just think together and we can strip away the limits of person-to-person communication, we can actually share thoughts. That, that's that road to hell again being paved with good intentions, perhaps. Um, but bravo here to the writers, Ken Biller especially, but we know that this is a group effort for teasing out our encounters with the Borg here and just letting us sit with the threat, but also giving us something totally unexpected. And I love the humanity of the characters that we meet on the planet and way to build some relationships that feel genuine and earned, even if they're short, that's okay. Just really nicely done with Chakotay and the truth of the relationship that he's in, but also the very difficult position that he's in later in the episode. Now, does it hold up? Sort of. I mean, look, I I love this episode and I love it for all the reasons that I listed, but I think the really key thing here is that this works best in context. Really need to have seen at least some of the previous Borg stories because you need to know what came earlier to really be able to get into the promise and the threat of what's happening on this one outpost. I think that serves the story well because otherwise it's kind of happening in the abstract. But if you've watched a lot of Star Trek and you know the threat of the Borg, this just comes at you from left field. And it's such a great way to be able to examine it and maybe not empathize with the Borg, but at least get some understanding of kind of the appeal and why they're there and why it can be traumatic to be pulled out of that. So yes, yes, it holds up with that caveat of uh, go watch some other Borg stories if you haven't yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Norman? Well, I mean, with, say, the occasional nitpick, as as I usually do, I mean, we have fun. Mm. You know, we, with should. we should. Because uh, yeah. we love it so much. And yeah, Okay, yeah. so there's like another shuttle being launched. It's like in Red October, it's like you lost another <laughs> submarine. Another submarine. <laughs> and then you have Chakotay veering off to investigate another side quest and getting himself into trouble. And obviously this one, like, tragically causing the death of one of his crewmates. Yeah. It's rare for me to say this, not only about a Voyager episode, but any episode of Star Trek. This one was a winner for me. Oh, there we go. Across the board. Yeah. And dare I say, one of my favorite episodes of Voyager to date. Wow. Yeah. Nicely said. Okay. Okay. This episode did the one thing that I've been waiting for for a long time in Voyager. As I was watching it, it completely subverted my expectations as an episode because 
at the beginning, I was like, the Borg again. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but I was like, yeah. are the writers running out of ideas? We got to recycle the Borg again. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'll watch a little bit more because we do watch these episodes right. uh, over and over again for our reviews. Mm-hmm. I really did enjoy the slow burn in this episode. And it really made me focus on Chakotay's and Riley's relationship because they smoldered at the beginning. And mm-hmm. like I was interjecting in observations, they were sizzling <laughs> at the end. Yes, they were. And it's, yeah. it's rare when you actually get, say, a main star in the cast and then a guest star in the cast just have that unique and immediate chemistry as scene partners. Mm. And I think that when Robert Beltran has the right people to act against, and it's usually Kate Mulgrew, you know, he's fantastic. And he was right out of the gate with Riley, with Laurie Hallier's Riley as his scene partner. They just, they earned each other's trust as characters organically in the script and in the episode. And I think that that's how I was able to build the trust that I needed to invest myself in these characters. And then there's the scene where Riley and Orm explained how they became friends and their experience in the collective. And they learned to trust each other and they were able to survive and create this, this cooperative. And then Orm explained as a Romulan in character, as a Romulan, he was taught. I mean, the Mm. operative word is taught to hate humans. That to me stopped me in my tracks and then made me write this entire diatribe that I put into Morals, Musing, and Messages. So we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> okay, fair um, enough. The production was outstanding. I loved the grittiness mm-hmm. of the camp, the production industrial grittiness of the cooperative camp. I loved mm-hmm. how Riley was spiritually channeling Susan Oliver's Vina for me from yes. the cage. Yeah, I'm not sure if a lot of people picked up on that, but that's just how I picked up on that as her character. I loved that... Chakotay and Janeway were at odds about what to do about Riley's presentation, you know, to access the Borg cube. I like that Janeway was pushing back on her first officer who she knew was somehow emotionally compromised and needed to make sure that he was getting all of the facts presented to him so that he in turn could present the facts to her. And I also love that there's this reality gut check that this episode gave us about the Borg who they are, what they still mean to this fandom, and the inherent distrust that it, it's not been established just in the universe, but in the audience, too. Because when you say the Borg, your mind immediately snaps to a bigotry and a prejudice about them. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Yeah. They've been positioned yeah. as such. But that works against Riley and the cooperative's efforts and how we believe they're going to succeed forward. Uh, well said, man. Yeah, I, I love hearing your enthusiasm about this episode. So let's talk about those morals, meanings, messages, because can't wait to hear more about uh, uh, you and uh, uh, Orem's lesson of being taught. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there is an angle to the Borg that is very much like a cult, and I think that's explored very well in this episode. The safety and the sense of identity within the cult is too difficult to give up, no matter what the risks are. And from Riley's perspective, from anybody's perspective who has been on that part of it, nobody ever joins a cult. They're just people who want harmony, peace, 
and to do the right thing for others. And she and Oram and presumably the others there are so driven by that ideology that they're willing to take huge risks to get back to that place. I think there's a real worry and a real danger there. Again, I would love to know what happens to these poor people in 10 years. The other big thing here that I got into uh, in our previous segment, I, I feel like there is a message here that I picked up on that there is no shortcut to unity. Whether it was intended or not, I, I think that we have to leave this colony with some ambiguity and a great deal of concern. They're determined from the beginning that if they only had the right security measures, they could be safe. And then if they could only be satisfied with the collective technology that they crave, then then they could overcome their problems. Star Trek has a lot of episodes where the relationship between technology and the people who use it is questioned and explored. And yes, the advanced tech of science fiction is to be envied and worked toward, but there's always an ethical, humanistic question at the heart of it. If we can't figure out how to be unified and work for common goals, then any amount of technology layered on top of that won't save us. And worse yet, it could exacerbate the problem and take us down a yet more dangerous path. Absolutely well said. And I think that's not only a great moral or message or meaning, but a great cautionary tale as well, you know, because that was something that I almost landed on. But going back to uh, what I referenced earlier, it was Orm's oh, yeah. statement that it really did just kind of st- make me take a step back and kind of breathe and realize what was going on here. And then the more times I rewatched this, as we do for Mission Log, the more that took shape oh, and, and influenced the way that I look at this episode. What I landed on was hatred is taught. It's not genetic. And this is the scene that, that highlights that. And it's a scene worth rewatching in this episode. Riley says... After the Euphoria wore off, people started looking around and found they were living among other cultures they didn't understand, or worse, species they'd been taught to hate. They turned against one another. Things became chaotic. Orem said, the fighting, the raids. And then Riley says, but we're not all like that. Everything I told you about forming a cooperative, building a new society, I meant it. But this was the line in particular that truly elevated this episode for me into what I believe is worthy of Star Trek overall. Orem says, Riley is telling the truth, Commander Chakotay. Look at me. I was Romulan. I was taught to hate humans, the Federation. But Riley and I are friends now. I'm part of the cooperative. And this reminded me of one of Gene Roddenberry's quotes, which for me brings this scene and this episode full circle. Gene said, Because something or someone looks or acts differently from us does not necessarily mean that it is ugly or bad. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Darkling. Some of the music for mission log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, 
John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. I have more helpful technical information. An emergency beam out is just like a regular beam out, but this time with feeling. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.